You were at my wedding. You heard the story of the first two Klingon hearts and how nothing could stand against them and how they even destroyed the gods that had created them. I've heard that story since I was a boy, but I never understood it. I mean, really understood it until I was standing in the jungle with my heart pounding in my chest and I found that even I could not stand against my own heart. I had to go back. And it did not matter what Starfleet thought or what the consequences were. She was my wife, and I could not leave her. Transfer complete. Hello and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Worf has to offer. I'm Cam Smith and joining me on the bridge. You can find me at... Re- wait, wait, why am I saying you can find me at report... Cam, <laughs> I've already done with this episode. <laughs> I should have said, and joining me on the Worf. <laughs> uh, listeners, uh, behind the scenes stuff, Cam and I realized we, we didn't really... Uh, schedule our uh, podcasting routine very well versus our own uh, respective trips that we're going on so i'm a little bit out of sorts but uh cam <laughs> give it to me again give it to me again our listeners deserve something uh pr- from me to in- introduce me of course and joining me on the bridge this is tyler orton decloaking his batleth so yeah mixing metaphors mixing metaphors there <laughs> And we're here this week to talk about The Journey of Worf, the latest in our series of character-centric episodes. We did a Ducat episode a while back. We've done a Janeway one. So Worf seems like a very natural character to cover, especially given his appearance on Star Trek Picard in Season 3. It's such an interesting character, Tyler. We brought him up, uh, I think it was last week, where we were talking about... Um, you know, what would have happened, you know, the Star Trek what-ifs. And we talked about Red Uniform Worf, this kind of random character who pops up in different jobs. How is Worf, like, one of the biggest icons in Star Trek, given his beginnings? Yeah, when he started off on TNG in that Red Uniform, it it was like kind of a relief tactical slash navigation officer, you know? Yeah. Um, The thing I got thinking about, though, is uh, Gal Gadot. Um. She, she's she got presence. She is not a particularly mm-hmm. good actress, but she's got, like, screen presence. Um, I, I wonder if maybe even Arnold Schwarzenegger is kind of the better analog here for why Worf kind of has resonated. You know, it, it's like, I think Michael Dorn, when given, like, good material, he, he he's a good actor. But I think he's also got this kind of presence. I don't think you can just put on Klingon makeup on just anyone and they would have popped the way that Worf has over, you know, three decades plus at this point. And so it's a big uh, testament to, like, Michael Dorn yeah, uh, for being able to do this. Like, let's say it was uh, Tony Todd who played Worf's brother, Kern. What if he was originally cast at Worf? I just, I think Tony Todd's doing really cool stuff uh, as Kern. He's got a presence there. I just don't know if he would have popped in the same way. I think there's almost a uh, a jolly vikingness to wharf that really works for mainstream audiences too there's also like kind of almost like a romantic lead aspect to wharf as well because there's a lot of like wharf romance stories um some really strong and some like the one with the very young klingon woman yeah. <laughs> the half klingon woman that was very strange but uh, in the birthright two-parter but i mean 
there's something about like Michael Dorn. It's not just the stature, but he has kind of like a romantic lead vibe. And like Tony Todd, there's a little bit more of an edge that I don't know that some of the directions that Worf went would have worked as well with Tony Todd. I think Michael Dorn would have been too jolly as the Candyman. Would you agree? <laughs> the Candyman. Uh, would he have been up for Lorca in Star Trek Discovery? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, actually, it would have been kind of fun if, if we ever got like uh, Michael Dorn sans like Worf sort of role. Like, I guess we got that in Far Beyond the Stars, but yeah, I don't know. Like, like, um. Uh, I don't know, would that work, or do you think he would just be too recognizable even without all that Klingon makeup on? It's the voice. I think the voice yeah. is the issue. I think you could drop him into an episode of Strange New Worlds or something, but although I say that, I say the voice is too distinct. Brent Spiner has shown up in how many different shows? <laughs> like, <laughs> he's played all these, like, variations on Soong, but I guess if it's all Soong's, like, whatever, but... Uh, I think if you just, like, made Michael... Michael Dorn, especially now, is... You know, he looks a lot older than he did when he started on TNG. I think he could play, like, an older character and probably sell it just fine. Does he actually look a lot older? Like, the man is, like, in his 70s. He looks like he's in his, like, 40s, though. And uh, with regards to his voice, so he's, like... The Worf voice is quite distinct from the casual Dorn voice. Like, I just wonder if, like, Dorn could come in and... I don't know, play some sort of, like, scientist. And a lot of folks, maybe a surprising number, wouldn't necessarily clue into the fact that it's, in fact, Michael Dorn. I think, um, remember, like, Rene Bergeronoff played a, uh alien on Star Trek Enterprise and didn't have nearly as much kind of Odo makeup. And I don't think it was um, as... Uh, you know, distracting as maybe it could have been for, you know, some folks that would have usually attach, you know, that actor to that character. And he has a very distinct voice, so you can't even yeah. then take the voice into account. I am totally blanking on that episode. Which one was that? Or what kind of, what character was it? Uh, is, is it like season one, I think? Okay. And I'm pretty sure it's like season one, but um, I, uh, we'll, we'll get on Memory Alpha while one of us vamps uh, for a second here. But I, I guess the other question about, like, why do we want to do kind of a warp episode? And, uh, you know, like, you know... I'm a, I don't know if your internet research uh, brought this precise number up to you, but do you know how many on-screen appearances Worf has had over the last couple decades? Oh my god. Is it like episodes? Just on-screen appearances. What would your estimate be? Um, okay. Uh, but by that I, I like we're including like like films. Yeah, okay. Sure, sure. Um it's high. Uh yeah, no I'm shit. Gonna say... Thanks, Cam. <laughs> Is it like 320? No, not too far off. Um, 283. So Okay. I, 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 I think the reason this guy needs to be talked about, why he needs to be included in our Journey of series, um, we've done Captains, we've done uh, probably the most interesting villain. Um, why are we doing Worf, who's not a Captain, he's not a villain? Um, I think we're doing Worf because he is... Um, the the character that we've spent the most time with, you know, altogether, or at least he's been on screen, um, just popping in at least for an episode, uh, you know, he, even if it's just like one scene, you know, and, and so I think that makes him a very distinct character. He's been in four films, he's been in three different television series. Mm -hmm. He's had a big, big arc. Uh, 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 
more of an arc than a lot of other characters might be afforded but like his journey is a wild one and yeah what got me thinking though is um ultimately how his journey in picard season three was quite different than um what we saw from the other tng um characters maybe we'll get into that what i kind of want to do is, is talk about like Worf's you know most important episodes not necessarily like Worf centric episodes you know uh, a fistful of datas yeah is a Worf centric episode but is that really one of Worf's most important episodes you know oh uh, yes not all... it is actually yes. <laughs> thank you actually there's an action figure <laughs> <laughs> yeah proof there but I, yeah. I i think there are like um like important Worf episodes even if they're not particularly great episodes or even if he's not necessarily like front and center of them so i think that'd be kind of a fun exercise and we can also kind of go along and and, and dive into why this character resonates the way that he has but i, I kind of gave my my spiel my hypothesis about why he resonates well, why do you think he's resonated over the years well i'll say first up renee Virginia was in the episode oasis ah. which as i recall was not a good episode <laughs> it was not uh, was that season yeah. one of enterprise um it was the 20th episode yeah so season one right near the end of season one yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah i think the thing about Worf that's interesting is that like he's had such a long journey but it's a very like different journey because he's been handled by different shows in different ways like when i look at um troy you can say well maybe things are a little different when you get to picard but it's pretty consistent across tng Whereas when I look at Worf, you look at the Worf who was on TNG, who has some really wacky kind of directions he goes. Like, they find ways to explore Worf in ways that are mo more multidimensional and sometimes odd than any of the other characters. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that stands out. But also, like, the difference between Worf on TNG and then DS9 are very different. And I don't know that there's many comparisons. Like, stunning. Yeah. Like, like, like it's it's so weird how different. Yeah. Yeah, and then you have Picard, very different as well. It seems like every time a showrunner kind of latches onto Worf, they have ideas they want to take that character in. Like, he's a character that is, in some ways, very elastic. Uh, it's almost like, you know, maybe he's like the Batman of Star Trek, where it's like you can <laughs> kind of reinterpret him so many different ways because everyone understands his moral code. They understand kind of the things that make him Worf but you can kind of bend him to fit the world you're creating around him. Like, I could also see Lower Decks doing crazy things with him. It, there's something about Worf in particular that I just think has that kind of factor, but no matter how you change the energy of the show around him, it's always Worf. It never feels off. Whereas when I look at, say, like Riker on Lower Decks, I love him to death on that show, but it feels very different. Well, I'll also posit this. Um, between all these different appearances uh, across, you know, films, uh, spinoffs and all that, it doesn't feel as if um, he's not being himself or that Worf's mm -hmm. acting out of character. And I, I, I wonder how much that is in that people just have an easy grasp of the character, even if they're giving him very different things to do. I think the description of him as being elastic is quite apt. Or if it's just Dorn has such a good grasp on the character that he just knows how to play it no matter the circumstance. But I, I just, I, I, I've never, I, can you point to a time where it's like, oh, that's such an out of character thing that Worf's doing right now? I, 
I, I, like I got one. springing out to me. Okay. I got one. Uh, sure. <laughs> the moment when we were talking about imaginary friend a couple weeks ago uh-huh. where the little girl like bumps into him in the hallway and he's like chuckling to himself. He's like, ha, ha, ha. oh, kids. Yeah. <laughs> that felt a little odd for Worf. He was being nice to a child. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I was like that part. Yeah. I was like, oh, that, that seems a little early T or I guess it was, it was not early TNG at all, but it felt like a, a little bit of a weird Worf moment, but there's, there's few and far between. Yeah. So uh, what do we dive into? I, I think maybe the the first most important Worf episode. I mean, like, there's one where I, I think they had the group of Klingons, like, jump in on, like, season <laughs> one of TNG. I, I really don't think that meant much to Worf's arc or anything like that. I think it's Emissary. Was that Heart of Glory, I think? Yeah, Heart of Glory. Heart of Glory was the, yeah, okay. I think that, yeah. I, that might have been Von Armstrong's first appearance ever in Star Trek, if I recall correctly. I think it was. Von Armstrong yeah. is, yeah, he, he played uh, Admiral Forrest, but he also, I think he's played, like, 20 other characters across Star Trek, various aliens and all that. And he played a Klingon there. Um, but I don't think it, I don't think that one was one of Worf's most important episodes. I, I think really the first real important one was Emissary. In, and we're not talking Deep Space Nine. We're talking about um, the introduction of Kalar, mm-hmm. um, his uh, former mate who kind of returns. And uh, yeah, he's looking to rekindle things. I mean, I, 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 <laughs> she kind of spurns him, but like it's like, oh, we're giving this guy depth. We're giving him... A backstory we're giving him kind of a history and like the, the thing is that you always when you're writing the thing that you always need to ask what the, is what the character's motivation is what do they want and in here you you get a something that a wharf wants something more than just to shoot torpedoes all the time you know and i'm just like okay this is where they're starting to give him some real depth here well like once they start introducing the elements of kind of the family shame that he deals with suddenly it's like you have a complete understanding of the psychological core of that character and it's like very elegantly done because it can be summed up in like a sentence or two and you instantly understand where that character is coming from because you see him as this big strong warrior Klingon character on the bridge he's kind of our badass on the show but you understand kind of the insecurities of him and like there's some characters who feel watery where you watch the season or watch the even the entire series and you're like, I, I have trouble pinning them down a bit. Like you and I did that episode, The Psychology of Geordie LaForge. <laughs> it kind of bounces around. Like it's tough even when you get to the end of TNG to really write down in like a sentence or two what defines Geordie LaForge. Whereas with Worf, they lay it out so beautifully and find ways to bring in like political intrigue and tie all this kind of developing story around that in a way that's interesting, action-packed and fun, but also speaks so much to the soul of the character. And that's really like to me interesting when I look at TNG because TNG was the show we often say didn't quite know how to use Worf properly, but they understood how to plant all the seeds properly. It's interesting because people often just kind of refer to this as, you know, Worf's uh, Klingon politics arc. You described it as kind of uh, family shame. And I wonder if it's more apt to discuss this as Worf's family shame arc, you know? And this is something that kind of, <laughs> like, I, I I know, like, like it sounds funny, but I, I, I yeah, do yeah. think that is, is probably, like, a better description of what's been playing out for and what really kind of defines a character uh, when you go from, uh, I think, starting with the Emissary all the way through to the uh, end of uh, Deep Space Nine to the final episode in which, you know, he's finally like kind of an ambassador to the Klingon Empire now, um, serving on Kronos next to the Chancellor, who is now his good friend. And then like, I I would say that that's kind of the end 
of the family shame arc for him and it took um it took hundreds of episodes you know starting <laughs> with uh emissary and uh, so Kaler comes to the picture I, I think the next important one it, it's not a great episode uh it's not one that I I, I think many people rewatch or care for but it's the bonding in which that kid Jeremy his uh, uh Starfleet's uh, parent dies and yeah. so Worf kind of takes him on and says you are part of my family you are as if you were my own son and we never see Jeremy never hear from him once again and I think this is an important one because I think this is kind of telegraphing um how Worf ditches children and uh, we, we didn't know it at the time before, say, one Alexander would appear. But um, this is, a, I think, a season two or maybe a season three episode of uh, of TNG and establishes earlier on that. Uh, yeah, Worf's not so big with the kids, despite some uh, some big words he might have for them. But it's also like the show seems like self-aware that kids like Worf. And maybe maybe it's because like Worf's pain is like something that even like kids could understand in a way and so it makes a lot of sense to pair him up with kids even if the results are a little mixed it tells us something about him and the bonding is not a great episode but you're right like it it kind of speaks to where Worf is going to go like we'll get to Alexander a little later but as much as people ridicule that arc it makes a lot of sense as a direction to take the character and I'd say that family shame arc really gets going with Sins of the Father, in which uh, kind of uh, Kern uh, pops up. Uh, he's introduced mm. uh, for the first time as Worf's biological uh, brother. And this is also the introduction of Duras. And this is kind of where kind of the uh, Klingon political intrigue starts get going on for Next Generation. And th that keeps playing out um, for a number of seasons. And it's not really a heavily serialized show, but it's interesting how much... TNG was drawn to kind of the Klingon politics of it all, and especially gave Worf kind of a, uh, a, a a bit of a channel to operate and give him much more interesting things to do than suggest to the captain, uh, we should fire on this alien civilization. And, and of course, Picard would always say, no. There's this great YouTube <laughs> compilation. Of, it's just a compilation of Every single time Worf is told no yeah. by everybody in the ca in the uh, cast there. So that that's pretty great. But I think Sins of the Father is, I think it's one of the most important episodes, um, just period, like uh, for Worf. Mm -hmm. uh, it, 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 it's the one that really tees off that kind of politics slash family shame arc there because of the introduction of the Duras. Uh, and, you know, of course, I don't know. What's your thought on that, though? Well, I think like the introduction of Kern is really important as well because we'll talk more about Kern going forward, but he almost feels like where Worf could have gone mm -hmm. had he not had the stability that he has with the, you know, the Federation and his fellow uh, crew members. Um, but yes, like the setting up of the Duras storyline, it's going to get maybe a little silly by the time we are saying final farewell to the Duras family <laughs> on the big <laughs> sure. screen. But I think it was essential to create these antagonists where not only can you have the family shame story that is compelling, but also you kind of attach a face to it that you can kind of root for Worf against. And the fact that they made it something where it was actually like quite, you know, comp complex and interesting to follow was, I think, very successful. Like there's some really silly kind of like uh, standalone TNG character episodes that don't feel like they're kind of taking the character forward in a meaningful way, but stories like this really do a lot for Worf. 
And then I think the next big one, though, has to be Reunion, in which Killer is back and uh, Alexander is introduced for the first time. Hallelujah. You know, it's... (laughs) But it's interesting because... You know, like, initially, like, uh, Worf had uh, proposed marriage to Kalar. She said no. Now she's willing to, you know, marry him. He's saying, no, now I have this family shame, and my family shame would be carried on to both you and Alexander. Um, of course, this escalates quite quickly <laughs> with uh, Duras killing Kalar, yeah. and it marks the first time that uh, Worf decides to... Um, kill a Klingon while wearing his Starfleet uniform, and he, he's not really <laughs> on duty, you know. Uh, we, we did this, like, court-martial episode, like, years and years ago, and we realized that um, pretty much everybody could get away with anything based on the fact that uh, Worf was out there murdering um, other people while he was wearing in his, uh, his Starfleet uniform, and didn't really seem to be any consequences there. No, that's uh, very accurate. Do you think it was a good idea to kill Kalar? Like, should that have been a character we got a couple more appearances out of? Was there more, like, dramatically to get out of her? I just wonder what they, what happened in the writer's room is they kind of painted themselves into a corner. And, like, the most interesting that thing that would have happened in her second appearance would have been to kill her off. I think it would have been great for us over, like, a longer period of time if they kind of thought that through. Maybe an episode like that occurred a few seasons down the road and we got, like, more intermittent appearances um, Kind of like we're we're getting with uh uh not to pa who is um or to pring on mm-hmm. uh, strange new worlds right now um, yeah uh, Spock's fiance there and I, I she's just really popped on strange new worlds and I think we benefited from that quite a lot over the last two seasons I think that we would have benefited a lot from uh, uh, Susie Plaxon's uh, recurrences um, as Kalar if we got much more of that over the years of TNG but but I just I'll give them a break on this one. I just don't think they quite knew what they had at the time when uh, they decided to kill her off. I think they're more saying like, okay, what does this do for Worf's journey in this particular episode? I think it also is a case where they want to introduce Alexander into Worf's life. But how do you do that if Kalar is still alive? Like, yeah. do they want her there week to week? I mean, do they want to do the uh, Keiko where... <laughs> She's vanished from the show for periods of time. Like, you could have gone that road, but I think the idea was to have Worf specifically as the sole caregiver to Alexander to tell that story. And, yeah, that's difficult to kind of work around. But but why? Because, like, I I, I understand it from a kind of a uh, storytelling perspective. Yeah. But the thing is, they never really made Alexander an important enough part of Worf's life Mm -hmm. and so the end result is that he just looks like a terrible father throughout his entire arc as a character you know um to the point he's sending Alexander back to earth so that his (laughs) own so that Worf's parents can raise their grandson um that doesn't work out and they send him back to Worf you know, um, apparently that doesn't work out because uh, Worf just stopped talking to Alexander by the time uh, he's serving on Deep Space Nine. Although I do recall in uh, Way of the Warrior, he did have a photograph of the two of them and he pulled it out and smiled. And uh, that was the last <laughs> we heard of Alexander for, I think, uh, two more seasons. And I was like, OK, you know, clearly it's just I don't it's it just it's such a bizarre. It, it is one of the most bizarre relationships in Star Trek. And we're talking about a show with a lot of like bad um, parent-child mojo that defines a lot of the characters. I kind of like that Worf is a bad father. 
I, I don't know. Maybe it's because like we live in this uh, period now where like so many of the times when we see, especially in franchise entertainment, characters have like no real flaws or their flaw is they don't try hard enough. So they learn to try hard enough. <laughs> sure. And you're like, wow, how compelling. The idea that Worf... I'm a workaholic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, whereas like what I like about Worf is that he has issues and those issues are very much on display. The question I think for me more with the Alexander story is we get that Worf struggles to relate to this child, which is interesting. Is the show writing it that way because I don't know what to do with Alexander? Or is it an intentional choice early on to make Worf a bad father? That's where I'm always a little fuzzy because sometimes it just seems like we really don't want to write Alexander stories. So I don't know. Just put him with Loxana and send them off to the mud baths for an episode. Like they just don't feel like they're basically making Worf a bad father because they don't want, even want to bother writing Worf and Alexander stories. Well, we, we, we can break it down easily in that like, okay. I think, wouldn't it be weird if Alexander shows up and Worf is suddenly an amazing father, having yeah. no experience? And so I can understand why there'd be kind of this weird tension and Worf doesn't necessarily know what to do. Um, I also think it's much more interesting if you can write a character with flaws than mm -hmm. somebody who comes out of the gate as a perfect parent. And I, I think that was the defining characteristic, it, uh, you know, f between Worf and Alexander is that Worf just did not really know what to do. Um I think the issue is I don't I don't think the writers like I think the writers were totally self aware of Worf not being a good father. Yeah. But I also, as you were saying, like they would have had to really push themselves hard to think about more interesting stories to pursue with Alexander. And did they really want to invest that much time in doing that? And I, I think that's kind of the kind of the tough thing to think about. And, and so ultimately I think the writers were self aware that this was Worf's big flaw here but they ultimately just did not want to devote time to making it go go beyond that very surface level sort of relationship and were they at any point thinking you know what like we could have alexander developed over multiple seasons of this show like four seasons or whatever i, I just have a hard time imagining that they were looking at him the way say you look at jake on ds9 where it's like we want to watch this young man grow up on the show that's not really the type of TV show that TNG was. It was so specifically uh, spotlighting its main characters. I don't know that they were thinking, like, we want to develop this Alexander character in the background over a prolonged period of time. Well, the thing that also kind of surprises me, and I know there were a lot of questions, when Worf appears on Deep Space Nine for the first time, I remember at the time, like, the internet chatter was like, okay, so then what's Alexander up to right now? Mm. You know, Alexander's still a kid. You know, and I, I remember Ron Moore. He was always on like the message boards. He is. I was so awesome just having like kind of a writer uh, being so candid about kind of chats going on in the writers' room, decision making, at least his interpretations of that. And I, I think, if I recall correctly, what he was ultimately saying is like they didn't quite know what to do with the Alexander relationship at that point you know those mm -hmm. you know seasons four and five of deep space nine so when they introduce him in season six i uh, is it really a shock that alexander and and Worf aren't really they haven't really been talking for a number of years you know like um is it really a surprise that like alexander's kind of like a, a bit of a uh a doofus serving in like the klingon imperial army like 
no, it's, it, it, you know, it actually seems as if they did put some real thought as opposed to like, um, Alexander just shows up on the station one day and there's tension, you know, and it's like, okay, like, I kind of like what they decided to do with him, but he was only in two episodes of all of Deep Space Nine. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, there, I, I just think that there's so much more that they could have done with Alexander um, if he had popped up much more frequently. And it, it, I think it would have been easy, you know, like, um, there's a Dominion War going on. Of course, the Klingons are going to be popping up on uh, the station all the time, you know, and so... I think that was just such a missed opportunity when we're talking about, like, the journey of Worf. It is developing something more interesting. Like, I'm not saying you had to make Worf a great father, but develop, like, a more interesting, more nuanced relationship between these two that just do not see eye to eye on, on things, you know, whatsoever. What's fascinating to me also is that we learn about Worf's childhood in both, you know, DS9 and TNG. Uh, and Worf had a really difficult time, you know, living... Among humans, uh, you know, having you know human step parents basically looking after him, uh, well, foster or adopted parents, parents I, I or foster him. parents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's the proper term. Yes. Um, and um, like you would think, Worf having had those experiences and carrying that kind of baggage would want to like correct that problem in Alexander. Like, be like, I had a really difficult time when I see Alexander. I see a young version of myself, and I don't want him to go through the things I went through. And you never get the impression that Worf really had those thoughts to any great degree. Like, there's the odd episode where he'll acknowledge it, but you never get the sense there was that commitment or, like, that... So many people who are parents in the real world, like, they don't want their kids to go through certain things they went through. You don't get the feeling Worf had that same kind of self-awareness. But on the flip side, I, I think that's a very natural reaction. I think what you hear a lot of the time is people saying, like, sorry, I wasn't, like, a great parent. Mm. I had a really rough childhood myself. I, I didn't benefit from great parenting, so I didn't necessarily know what to do, you know. Um, that said, uh, I think Worf's parents, <laughs> it looked like they were angels. It looked like they did, you know, uh, the best that they could. I think it was just such a rough sort of childhood for him, not ever feeling as if he belonged anywhere. Mm. And I think mm -hmm. that really hurt his own psyche and like if he always felt like an outsider like how does he relate to a son that seemed at least you know in the early stages seemed very comfortable just being a kid you know mm, yeah versus like did, did Worf ever feel comfortable being a kid it didn't seem like it and which yeah. is also kind of interesting too is like when you think about the way they were kind of reimagining Star Trek for next generation like you got the sense that they'd kind of like ironed out a lot of the kinks of like human society and or even not just human society, but like Federation society. And something when you have like Worf being a very questionable parent, that's actually kind of interesting because it feels like there's still those kind of very human relatable issues happening in the Federation when you, we know that Roddenberry by the end of his life was like, no, none of that staff matters anymore in the bonding. Kids don't mourn their parents anymore. Like <laughs> the idea of having someone who's not a good parent is actually kind of surprising. So Worf's the worst parent in uh, among all the main cast members of cross all of Star Trek. Who's, who's the next worse worse? Like um, we, we can go through all the parents. Like, I don't think Beverly is bad parents. No, nope. uh, I don't think that, uh, Miles O'Brien was. No. Uh, it seems as if uh, Riker and Troy care uh, a lot for uh, their daughter, Kestra. And, uh, you know, Jordy seemed to be a great parent. Um, yeah. You know, like, uh, Kirk never really had a chance to be a parent. You know, like, his son died as an adult. Yeah. You know. Um, I... He wasn't He wasn't <laughs> great. 
Kirk wasn't great. <laughs> but, but he never he never had the chance, you know. Um, yeah. I guess we know that Sulu, um, from what I can tell, seemed to be a good parent. Um, we never really saw him in an action other than, I guess, in the Kelvin verse where he gave his partner a, uh, a pat on the shoulder, you know. Um, That's right. Uh, we only saw Chekhov's granddaughter in Star Trek Renegades. <laughs> <laughs> the fan film, yeah, that's that's, that's true. right, that's right. Um, um, you know, I'm trying to go through like who else were parents. Uh, you know, oh, I, you know, I mean, Cisco was a great parent. Uh, you know, uh, Ben. Mm-hmm. Um, who else like kind of jumps out as kind of a, a parental? It, it seems as if like Carol Freeman has the the patience of an angel. Yes, you know, she um, does. But I don't know. She she also she also raised. Uh, Mariner, so maybe that's <laughs> indicative of her parenting skills. Uh, like, who else might be... I mean, Tuvok, it seemed, you know, he didn't have issues with his kids. Mabenga sending the daughter off with Deborah the Nebula and being like, well, later. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, that one's a little questionable, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, okay. Uh, Cam, so that's Reunion. Mm. Um, Let's jump over to Redemption, uh, parts one and two. Uh, this is kind of where the, uh, I, I think the family shame arc uh, peaks, at least in the TNG era, but of course it's w- w- the Klingon Civil War arc. I, I just think one of those most powerful moments um, in, in Next Generation was when the, the crew knows that Worf has resigned his commission and they salute him yeah. on his way to the transporter room. That is, that is how you do a, like kind of a cliffhanger that doesn't, where it's not life and death. You know, you know that mm-hmm. the crew is going to be okay. The, the the ship's not in peril. That wharf's going to be fine. But it, it, it's you're emotionally invested on real relationships that feel earned. You know, you you can have those moments in, in uh, TV and film in which they they try to deliver these um, kind of uh, big moments, but it doesn't feel earned at all. The, the music might swell, but it it. it it just doesn't like like with uh, Berman uh, or Burnham crying all the time. Like it doesn't really feel earned. She just cries whenever. Yes, that is a hundred percent accurate. Um, yeah, and what I like too about this is that Worf was a character like they were kind of struggling with in the first season of the show, and then they crack him, and so you spend a couple seasons where Worf is you know the current elements and the political story and the family shame and Alexander's introduction. But what you get with Redemption especially is a real underlining of what the whole crew feels about Worf. Because it's not like episode to episode you get everyone talking about how much they love Worf. Like a lot of time he's kind of, I don't want to say sidelined, but he plays like a lesser role in some of the ensemble episodes. A lot of it is him being shot down for his suggestions. So when you have a moment like Redemption and you see everyone standing there, you really have a sense of his place on the ship. What's interesting because, okay, um... On Next Generation, like, I, I, I'll put it to you this way. Like, he had, like, all these appearances, but it's kind of surprising how little he was given to do of substance mm-hmm. in Next Generation if it wasn't a Worf-centric episode. Um, but what happened, though, is, is, you know, after Yard departs, like, he's this utilitarian player as the security chief, so he's always a constant presence. He's always on the bridge. He's always on the away missions he's always there and you know what his function is and what his reaction like you as the audience you kind of almost feel as if like Worf is kind of almost like kind of a surrogate because you almost like know exactly what Worf is going to do in any given situation 
Does it make him predictable? Maybe a little bit, but it, it makes the audience feel as if they have like a really strong grasp on who this character is. And I think that's one of the other reasons why he resonated so well beyond just kind of the, the distinctive uh, look and the distinctive voice and kind of that uh, charismatic uh, kind of presence that uh, Michael Dorn was able to deliver as well. And I guess he also has something going for him that we maybe should have mentioned up front and really acknowledged, which is like, he's our first major Klingon character who's like a hero. And so you have like a very iconic look. People know Klingon so well. And just having that twist of suddenly like these, you know, kind of enemies or uneasy sort of, I guess, allies when you get to the later movies uh, are now like you have a presence on the ship. So suddenly in some ways he has a little bit of the almost like the Spock factor going for him where it's the most one of the most iconic Star Trek aliens. And this is the first character you get to kind of like look at as a hero. Yeah. Um, it, it's so hard for me, just as somebody who didn't grow up watching the original series, mm-hmm. I just grew up knowing Worf as the Klingon, you know? And so, like, it's just tough for me to, like, I know what you're getting at, but for me, um, I, I never had that reaction to him. I, I, I always kind of viewed him as just kind of the outsider, and you knew why he was the outsider. You always heard, you of know, course. the Klingons were the enemies, you know? And so having the enemy now serving aboard the ship, but the the thing is, is like at this era, the Klingons were also our allies by this by this time. So it's just kind of interesting his his presence and the decision to put him there. He wasn't even supposed to be in the main cast. He was originally just yeah. supposed to kind of like you know recur here or there. And I think after, from my understanding, I I might be mixing up my information from years past, but I think they just liked him so much. It from Encounter at Farpoint, they're like, okay, let's just bump on up to the main cast. It makes that much simpler when it comes to contract stuff. Uh, we'll keep him around. Oh, for sure. But it is interesting to, when I think of like, this is, you know, he pops up on our TVs three years after Cruise from Star Trek Three, And like, it's just kind of that pivot of like... Four years. Is it four years? Okay, yeah. It's yeah. like that pivot of just like, this is the first kind of really genuinely iconic Klingon villain. Mm-hmm. And then boom, you have a Klingon hero just a short number of years later. Yeah, no, I, I think, yeah. Uh, no, I, I I get that, and um, yeah, no, it's interesting there. Yeah. Um, let, let's jump over to Deep Space Nine. Um, Way of the Warrior. I think this is uh, is this Tyler, Wolf's most important? Tyler. Yeah. I can't believe you skipped over the Worf and Troy romance, which I think is one of the uh, key elements of the character. <laughs> uh, yeah. I I I thought about bringing it up, but yeah, the thing is, they 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 never addressed it. Okay, it, I I think what was that episode called? Like um. And it had something like remember they're in the warp nacelles, and that's when uh, Worf and Troy decide to pursue something. Yeah. It had kind of been hinted at in the episode in season seven parallels prior to that. Yeah, and then we know that all good things. There's still a couple, but by Star Trek Generations, it doesn't seem as if they're partners anymore. So it's what was this like a a six month romance? You know? Yeah, and never really acknowledged later down the road. So yeah. it's it's sort of noteworthy in that it is – that's what kind of where I was taking that kind of like Worf as romantic lead because they really did try to present him as having romances on the show. And then to have one with like one of the primary female characters on the show is also a little interesting. But because it's sort of underserved by the overall narrative of what TNG is, that like what's the takeaway really other than they tried something and just clearly were not that invested in it? I don't think it was one of the defining points of Worf's 
journey ultimately in his own life when you when like he looks through his life i think it was just he had a friend uh they tried it out for a little while both decided it didn't work out i mean that happens you know and it, it w was just a little more than kind of a blip uh on the the love radar for wharf there <laughs> Sort of akin to us having Ben Yong on the podcast for the first handful <laughs> yes. of episodes. We tried it, it out. It shot. just didn't work. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Cam, um, okay, uh, let's jump over to The Way of the Warrior. Yeah. Can I ask you this? Um, is this Worf's most important episode, period? Oh, is it his most important? Like, I'm, tr I'm now, like, bouncing my head, like, is there anything that jumps out as being more important? I don't know that there is. I'm just thinking about huh. how this defines the character moving forward, both in his own personal journey and then also tied to that kind of family shame arc that we've been talking about as well. Um, mm -hmm. Also, I just don't think Worf has ever looked this competent. And, you know, he gets to play detective at parts. He gets to play kind of um, the political advisor uh, the kind of military strategist as well. I think this is. I think this is peak Worf. You know, this is tells you like this guy could like sustain his own spinoff series as kind of a lead. Th th this is a feature length episode. Yeah. He he's kind of like leading man movie material, sort of. You know, like, like I I I really think this is Worf's most important episode, and I I think it's his best episode as well. And what we also saw on TNG is that Worf, from day one, served under Picard. And so it's like Worf was always, you know, a member of that crew. And we would see Worf would maybe make questionable decisions like killing high-ranking Klingons. And you would see Picard <laughs> give him a stern talking to, probably by the end of the episode, and Worf saying, you know, he he was sorry or whatever. Um, you know, they would, would find... Would he say sorry? You know, well, I wouldn't say sorry, but it would be more like they would, uh, you know, they would end as, uh, you know, in cordial terms by the end of the episode. Yeah. But when you get to him joining DS9, Worf doesn't really, I mean, he does answer to Cisco to a degree, but he's, he doesn't, he doesn't have that same kind of like, um, almost like father figure the way that Picard was on TNG. So suddenly you see Worf, as you said, kind of more as a leading man who's a little bit of an outsider character. Uh, you know, we even see on the show, he wants to sleep on like a shuttle. For example, he doesn't want to, like, kind of mingle with the rest of the crew. He is kind of like a man alone. And that feels like something that Worf is really good at. And I remember early on when it was a episode of the show, I kind of compared him to, like, a Ronin, this sort of masterless samurai. But that is kind of what he is when he joins TNG because you don't have, like, a Picard character for him to constantly be looking at. Or joins, joins Deep Space Nine, you mean? Or, sorry, yeah, when he joins Deep Space Nine, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's interesting. Yeah, uh, yeah, he, yeah. He's living on the Defiant. He becomes the executive officer aboard the Defiant because I don't think they really knew what a strategic operations officer does on the station. <laughs> we still don't. You know, still don't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the other thing that was really interesting um, it was when um, Jadzia, I believe, or no, I think it was Ezri actually had revealed to Ben that um, Worf found Cisco to be intimidating. Mm, yeah. And like, I don't necessarily think that Picard intimidated. Worf, or at least the way that Cisco did, and I, I believe that I buy that dynamic where, like, like, <laughs> like Worf would not want to mess with Cisco, whereas I think he sees a little bit more elasticity in that relationship. Um, I keep going back, or we both do in terms of the elastic term there with his relationship with Picard as well. 
Yeah. There's more of kind of a family kind of spirit between Picard. You're talking about that father figure, and I think there's more of that familiar comfort uh, versus um, more of a clinical, you know, commander, officer sort of relationship that he has with Ben. Exactly, yeah. It's like more of an emotional connection with Picard. Um, Whereas, like, Cisco, it's, yeah, it is kind of like... Maybe he respects Cisco, but it is it is like a you know commanding officer or a boss or however you want to look at it. It's someone he wants to work with well, but I don't think he you know when he's sitting on the Defiant at night, he's like, you know, me and me and Cisco, we're such great buddies. I, what what an emotional connection we have together. I'm sorry, I I in your brain. <laughs> Worf is sitting in the captain's seat of the Defiant in the evenings. Is he watching like TV, like Klingon opera on the view screen? Is that what his evenings out on uh, the Defiant War? I'm I'm very fascinated by um, this uh, uh, dream scenario that you got going here. Yeah, kind of the equivalent of YouTube. He's just watching Klingon opera clips, basically. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. Okay. Um, Sons of Moog. Uh, Kern returns. Um, the the family shame has come up yet again because yeah. Worf goes against the Empire, um, you know, uh, in way of the warrior. You know, they're they're not gonna go into battle against the Cardassians like the uh, Klingons want to here. And the 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 House of Moog is just disgraced. And the answer is okay. We're gonna take away Kern's ridges, put different ridges on him, wipe his memory, and give him to a new family. Um. This is one of the most like <laughs> depressing episodes yeah. uh, of all of, like Worf's entire journey. The question I have now: um, the House of Moog is re- rehabilitated at, uh, as of the year, uh, I guess twenty four oh one, kind of the contemporary mm. year that Star Trek set set in. By the time we get to the end of um, Picard season three, um, have they fetched Kern <laughs> from this house? Have they given back his ridges and his memories? Like, I don't know. It, it, like, that would be a fascinating adventure to watch where this guy's spent, you know, who knows how long living one way, having memories of something, and then being told, oh, no, you actually come from, like, this um, high Klingon house, and here are your memories back. Have fun dealing with it. Uh, Deanna Troy could get involved, uh, being kind of the counselor there. That would be interesting. Oh, that would be. But I think this continues also like a trend of Worf losing people because yeah. Kaylor is dead. Alexander is, we don't really know at this point in the DS9 run. He, he's somewhere. Um, he's not in the, he's not around. And then for him to lose, you know, Kern in this way where he's kind of, he, he doesn't have a brother anymore. And that's going to continue obviously with the fate of Jadzia. But it is an interesting aspect of the character in that he's always losing people. But he's never a melancholy character. It's like we can see the tragedy of Worf, but we don't sit there and feel sorry for him. No. Um, <laughs> I thought you were going to say, you know, uh, Kalar's dead. Um, Alexander's dead to Worf at this point. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the, I know this seems like, like I'm not trying to be slight or anything like that, but like I, I want to point out an episode like Let He Who's Without Sin. Um, it's not a very good episode of Deep Space Nine, not at all. But I think it is an important Worf episode in that they establish that Worf as like an eight-year-old killed by accident like a fellow eight-year-old playing soccer, you know? Yeah. I, yeah. It, it's – um, you can tell that haunts him, you know, um, rightfully so. Um, but it also – like Worf is such a jerk in this episode and he comes <laughs> involved with like kind of an uprising – 
on Ryza, no pun intended. Um, you know, it's just like, oh, what is going on here? But it is kind of an, um, maybe not an important episode, but maybe some important moment, uh, moments, not Mormons, uh, for <laughs> Worf's uh, journey here. I very much enjoy that you were skipping over him and Troy, but you're like, let he who is without sin. That's an episode <laughs> we need to include on the journey of Worf. <laughs> I think it's I think it's important in establishing like um yeah I I know what you're saying yeah. yeah the childhood stuff is actually very important in fact I would say the fact that he apparently killed a child in like a soccer match is a detail that should be in an entirely different episode like that is a yeah that feels like it should be a very important aspect of the psychology of Worf's evolution as a person um yeah totally um speaking of that okay so end of season five um. Jadzia says, look, I know you've always wanted this. Let's get married uh, when things settle down. So we jump over to Cordially Invited. And um, uh, <laughs> to me, this is one of my favorite Worf episodes. It's just, it, it, it's a funny episode. Uh, there's tension between the um, uh, fiancé and fiancé. Um, hmm. And they get married. They get hitched. And I think this is a very important thing. Like, how often do we see characters in Star Trek getting married? Like, main characters. We really do don't it's not a thing that happens um ben and cassidy do it uh o'brien and keiko get married yep um yep. Na name a few others cam like i i'm 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 straining th thinking about like the main characters i, I guess uh -huh. tom and Bellana. you know well that's the thing it's like there's not a lot of mains we see the wedding at the start of balance of terror so we know people get married on these ships but yeah uh it's not a super common thing on many of the shows yeah yeah, it, it's just, uh, which I, is why I think it's kind of such a big deal for, like, Worf's journey. It's like, uh, this is his mate. He's found his person. And then you, you jump into uh, another episode, Change of Heart, in which he ditches mm. that Cardassian informant. He and Jadzia are on that mission through the jungle. She gets injured, and, and he decides to save Jadzia instead of carrying on with the mission. And Cisco says, you know, you're never going to get a command because of this. And, and um. I think that's a very, very important Worf episode, and it, it, it strikes even deeper when, you know, Jadzia dies uh, in Tears of the Prophet, yeah. uh, Tears of the Prophets, and um, it, it makes it all the more tragic. I remember the writer saying, like, well, had we known Terry Farrell was going to leave, we never would have gotten uh, her hitched to Worf, but I think that's kind of 1990s, like, television writing there i th i just think it makes it all the more tragic you know that they didn't know that that was going to happen and guess what you don't know that uh, about life you know when you know you're going to lose people there and i i think Worf, uh much of his journey in the seventh season was him coming to grips with that and not wanting to have anything to do with esri i, I they had a very icy relationship through um i'd say the first 75 percent mm -hmm. of that season and you know i i, I think um you know um kind of uh you know, I I I guess the thing I'll, I'll give credit to, um, you, you know, like an episode like Penumbra, which I I think that was the one that maybe kicked off the uh, the final chapter arc on Deep Space Nine. Um, you know, like he and Ezri hook up, and then they realize no, we should not be a couple. This is just yeah, you know, like like Jedzia is Jedzia, I'm Ezri. Um, you can't keep searching for your lost wife through this other analog here. And I think that was a very important Worf episode. And him finally, not not that he's gotten over Jedzia, but he's finally come to grips with losing her to a certain degree. But also, like, the idea that the writers said, well, we wouldn't have had them get married. To me, 
DS9, at least a huge chunk of that show, is a show about war. And that's what people did during war. There were so many people would get married in World War One or World War Two, And then, you know, one of them, probably the, the man who went to war, would be killed. And so the idea that, like, that happens on DS9, to me, is actually pretty powerful. Now, the way that Jadzia goes, I have issues with that because it's pretty goofy. <laughs> yeah. But in terms of the emotional effect it has on Worf and the storytelling, I think it's perfect. Like, it really speaks to that show. And it's something I always think about with Worf going forward. When I see him on Picard Season 3, I think about his loss of Jadzia. And it just ties into the ongoing story of that character and that he does lose people all the time. But he just keeps on going. What's well, interesting because, like, even I think the episode of Shadows and Symbols uh, kicking off uh, Season 7 of Deep Space Nine... You know, um, I think the writers were, obviously they knew going into season seven, they're going to have to have Worf dealing with this. But I think they're also self-aware enough to realize like, oh yeah, Jedzia, she did not die in battle. How would that shake up Worf as well? And so I think they, uh, if I recall, they, they did some sort of mission um, against the Dominion in, in, in honor of her to ensure that she got to Stova Corps. And I, I'm, I'm just glad that the, the Deep Space Nine writers were just so self-aware Mm. when they're tackling Worf's journey like versus you know i i think the tng writers were self-aware that he wasn't a very good father but how much did they really care about maintaining all those kind of through lines uh for him in his journey i think they i think they really really wanted to do that on tng uh, net, or, uh sorry on deep space nine yeah and i think that was also a mandate from like michael dorn you want me on deep space nine okay well, give me a, a nice big paycheck and also give me more interesting things to do. Make my character deeper and deeper. It's just so interesting to talk to folks as we have over the years that like, oh yeah, I love uh, I love Worf. He's so awesome. Oh no, I've never watched Deep Space Nine before. And I'm like, oh, you think you like Worf now? Get into Deep Space Nine and you'll find out like how much more of an interesting, nuanced character he is. And you also saw on TNG Worf struggling more with Klingon culture. And by the time you get to DS9, because of Jadzia... Because of like that introduces characters like Kor, for example, into Worf's life, and then also Gowron and Martok being very big presences on DS9. Suddenly, like you get much more of a sense of Worf evolving into someone who is very much embracing and becoming a part of Klingon culture, whereas he always kind of stood outside of it on TNG and was often criticized by other Klingons because he was a member of Starfleet. Whereas you see him kind of going a little bit more back towards the Klingon culture, especially by the end of DS9. Speaking of the end of Deep Space Nine, I think this is a very important ask with regards to Worf's journey. Does he look back on his time on that space station when he was posted there um, with fondness or with sadness? Like, what does that mean to him? Like, I, I think he looks back on his time on uh, the Enterprise D with a lot of fondness. Yeah. I don't know about Deep Space Nine. You know, like, obviously he met his wife there, but he also lost his wife there. Yeah. You know? I, yeah. I, and it's like, he found his family on the Enterprise. Um, He found his wife there, but it wasn't like he had this surrogate family that developed on Deep Space Nine. The thing that you and I have always talked about is how they have, like, family units within the cast yeah. you know like you know but they don't have like kind of this big um like family as main cast it, it, like they find individual kind of pockets of families you know throughout um that casts there so i i don't know what Worf necessarily makes of his 
time being posted there for, I guess, four years. You know, obviously he regains his family's honor, he reconnects with Alexander, um, he fights some bloody battles against the Dominion, but I, I just don't, I, I, I just wonder if Jedzia's passing kind of stains that time for him overall. Yeah, I think like he acknowledges it as a very important time, but it's all tied to Jadzia. Like, we know that he is still friends with the TNG crew going forward. Do you think he ever really rings up any of the DS9 crew in the future? Who might he do that with? I, I have one. Not Quark? <laughs> uh, well, no. <laughs> you know, um, I, I think the only one there's a chance, like O'Brien, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. I think that one of the missed opportunities. I look on uh, Way of the Warrior. Uh, O'Brien and Worf reconnect. I think they have some brewskis or something. Then, um, mm-hmm. you know, they, they they chat. Was there ever really a Worf and O'Brien relationship uh, of kind of kinship beyond that one single episode? No, I think what happened was people loved Bashir and O'Brien together so much that they didn't want to interrupt that by having Worf and O'Brien hanging out. And so it became more like, okay, Worf and Jedzi are off having their storylines, and they never really shook that up too much. It would have been hilarious if there was a storyline where, um, you know, like, uh, Worf is kind of the hanger-on. Like, uh, he'd always pop up when uh, O'Brien and Bashir just were trying to hang out, um, play darts, and then Worf would just uh, magically show up and be like, oh, <laughs> hi, Worf. Sure, yeah, you, you can join in. Oh, you're having prune juice again, huh? Yeah. I do I do think there would have been an interesting story though. If you have O'Brien join the show, it would have to happen in season four of DS9, where O'Brien, who is someone who had a relationship with Worf before DS9, comes on the ship and Worf and him are together, and you get almost like a jealousy from Bashir. Like kind of you know, like the old friend suddenly comes back and is interrupting the new friendship. I think that could have been like a maybe an interesting B story just for the characters. Yeah, that would have been fun. Uh, very uh, hmm. sitcom-esque, kind of. Uh, yeah. But um, I, I, I still think, like, Deep Space Nine does not get enough credit for being as funny as it was. Like, yeah. I legit think... I, I, I'll, I'll put this out there. I, I mean, I, it's definitely the darkest show. I, I think, like, Beat for Beat, I, I think it has the most times where I actually laughed the most, just because uh, we knew the characters so well. The characters were so well uh, well-developed, and, and so they could do more with kind of the comedy stuff, even if it wasn't, you could go like five episodes straight without any sort of uh, like lighthearted episodes, but there could be like comedic moments within any given episode that actually worked and, and, and tied and didn't take away from maybe kind of the darker storylines going on in the, the a story or, or what have you. I know when we did our star, when star Trek does comedy episode, like the majority of the moments that we really loved came from DS nine. Yeah. And it was the most quotable ones. It was the ones that just felt the most like inspired because star Trek and comedy often don't go that well together as much as they try, but DS nine really cracked it. I I think it's because it's so character based. It's the most character based star Trek show. And that's, yeah. I think, for me at least, that's where comedy works best on uh, TV is when when you're doing something that feels very true to the characters, you know, versus some of those seasons of, you know, uh, hey, it's Joey and Rachel. <laughs> They're suddenly going to have a relationship. And you're like, oh, this does not ring true. This, uh, this is weird. Here's a question for you. What's the funniest moment on Star Trek Enterprise? Uh, <laughs> funniest moment. <laughs> uh... <laughs> 
it's uh, tough, yeah, right? A, like yeah. Voyager, I could think of it. Like, because you have like the date, you know, seven on the date and someone to watch over me. Stuff like that is really funny. Or I, I point to an episode like Tinker Tenor, uh, Doctor Spy. I think that is, yeah. I, I, that might be my favorite comedy episode of all Star Trek. You know, I'm I'm having a tough time thinking of anything when, when it comes to Enterprise. Yeah, like love the show, but in terms of comedy, I don't know that there's much there. <laughs> not that it's not a fun show to watch. It's just, um, I don't know. I, 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 look, if it's not your strength, don't try to make it happen. So exactly, um, exactly. So, uh, here, here, okay, we'll, we'll get to like Star Trek Picard season three in just a second here. But like, we've got uh, we've got the movie stuff. You know, like Insurrection takes place. Um, Right after Gen Z's death, you know, just a few months after Gen Z's death. I could tell. No acknowledgement. What, <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, in, in all fairness, they were filming it before they even knew that Terry Farrell was going to leave. And so from my recollection is they had references to Worf's bride. They only called her the bride in mm. the script. And obviously none of that made it onto the screen. Um, you know, I, I just think that there's this very, very important missing gap between deep space nine and, and picard season three you know how did he come to find peace and come to grips where he was with his life at that point you know he didn't take to the diplomatic core for very long after uh, deep space nine when he was serving as ambassador because he's back in the uniform by the time we get to nemesis yeah and you know based on the information i, I guess well if you haven't watched picard season three we'll get into some spoilers now but um we do know that he eventually took command of the Enterprise E. Um, presumably, you know, Riker takes command of the Titan, Data dies, and so Worf becomes the executive officer of the flagship, and I guess eventually assumes command once Picard becomes Admiral. Um, you know, I, I just think that there's a big story left to tell. You know, shouldn't John Luke and, and Worf in season three of Picard have had an opportunity to talk about their time serving as captain and first officer together, you know, they never mm -hmm. did any of that, you know, and, and how did their relationship evolve? Like, it would have been a very different relationship. Um, you know, they would have had like a, uh, you know, maybe a, a five year gap between having served with each other. Uh, they missed the Dominion War and now it's an XO and, uh, you know, captain kind of relationship, which is very different versus tactical officer. I'm sure Picard would have witnessed a lot of changes in, um, you know, worse evolution, uh, a much better officer now. And I, I, we just didn't get any of that acknowledged in Picard season three. I've really thought about it, you know, when I was at work today, I'm like, knowing we're going to do this episode. And I was almost like thinking like the way they treat Worf on DS9 versus the world of TNG is a little bit of like uh, Star Wars The Last Jedi and then the J.J. Abrams movies, where it's like they both have okay. very specific directions they want to take their stories, but mm. Worf gets, just as like uh, Rise of the Skywalker, pulled the story back to what Force Awakens was doing. TNG set up Worf. DS9 was like, we have an inspired idea. But then Picard rolled around and was like, no, you don't. Like, once you got to those movies in wow. Picard, they're like, <laughs> we know where we want Worf. We want him in uniform, on a ship. Like, never mind what was going on there. And I don't necessarily, like, hate where they take Worf on the TNG movies and uh, Picard. It's that they never really acknowledged it. They never made it feel like an organic story direction for the character. The fact It was just that they just were like, oh, don't worry about it. And just kind of hand-waved it. 
Well, I'll tell you what my inspiration for, for pitching this Journey of Warp episode to you a couple weeks ago. I was, I was at the office and I got to thinking about Picard Season 3. And what I realized, though, is with the TNG cast back together again, we really saw the inner lives of those TNG characters. You know, Jean-Luc mm-hmm. and Beverly dealing with their son Jack, um, Jordy and his kids, um, Riker and Troy dealing with their own marital issues, um, Data battling his brother Lore and <laughs> again? becoming kind of a different, <laughs> again, but becoming a different kind of Data yeah. internally. Um, and then Worf is saddled with Raffi. One of the most insufferable characters um, <laughs> in this Kurtzman era of Star Trek. And we don't really know anything about what's been going on in Worf's life. We just know that uh, he drinks tea and he's a little bit more chill than he used to be. Um, guess what? That happens to everyone who ages. They, they get a little bit more chill. Um, we don't know anything about him. Like They don't explore anything about what's going on with him um, in, in his inner life. Um, you know, he, I, I guess... He hold he now holds the rank of captain. Yep. Uh, all we know is that he briefly uh, commanded the Enterprise E, and he it was under his command when it was destroyed. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's now serving in Starfleet Intelligence, or like it's not Section Thirty One. I I don't think. I think it's Starfleet Intelligence, right? I think it was just Starfleet Intelligence, but the way that the Kurtzman universe uses Section Thirty One, I'm like, uh, yeah, ugh, they may have just. Uh, considered it section 31 well i I, like what did we get like here's the thing cam i don't know what we got out of wharf in um picard season three i i know what we got out of every single other tng cast member and they did like you and i were a little bit more mixed on season three yeah but there were still some really great moments um with all those cast members that that put their journeys move their journeys forward and i'm not talking about their ranks or their um vocations i'm talking about their inner lives i don't know what we got with Worf. like like other than he drinks tea and he's a little bit more chill like it it, it was this is ultimately like a big disappointment for me um when it came to like bringing Worf back after being gone for 20 years well like he has some moments throughout that season that are really strong. And I remember us just fawning over like great line deliveries or really great wharf moments. But it feels like with Star Trek Picard, they pushed him back kind of towards where he was with the movies and TNG, where it's like, you know, you're kind of one of the, the lesser supporting characters. Like you kind of have the ones that get more of the screen time, say like data, for example, but Worf, no, you get character moments, but you don't necessarily kind of get to take over the show to a certain degree the way that he does on DS9. So his story on Picard season three to me feels very simple and pat. And a lot of it was that kind of mentoring Raffi stuff that I guess it is something, but it's not necessarily what I wanted. Um, Like, like, I, I I guess I'll just ask you this: What what was Worf's journey in season three? Uh, was it mentoring Raffi? Was that the journey? Is is that a journey though? Because yeah, that's what he's doing. That like that's what he's physically doing. He's mentoring Raffi. Yeah, but what's his from? Yeah, I think he popped up in episode three. He's all, all there all the way till episode ten. Like how 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 does he change? 
from one episode. To, I, I can point to every single one of those other TNG characters from where they started in the first episode they popped up into to the time they get to episode 10. And I can tell you what their journey was about them coming to grips with parenthood, uh, with their marriage, with uh, becoming almost kind of a, a new person in the ca case of Data. I, 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 I have nothing for Worf, nothing at all in terms of an actual journey. Well, like when you consider the stakes of all the other characters, so you have Picard who has, you know, a son he discovers plus this relationship with Beverly. Beverly, also the son issue. Um, Jordy, kids on the ship. Uh, Riker and Troy, you know, they've lost a son. They talk about that, you know, throughout the show. Like that is an aspect of Riker's journey on the show. Um, Data, as you said, battling with his brother, kind of a familial, a familial story there. Worf, there's nothing there. And I remember us talking about that in the reviews and that Worf is a parent too, but the show's never acknowledging this. Yeah. And so it's like Worf doesn't have like an emotional hook into the season to really give him an arc other than just making him someone who can help Rafi. But in terms of him as an individual, there's nothing there that ties into the overall stories of the season. That said, um, having Dorn back playing that character... It was great. Mm -hmm. Like every time he was on screen, I, I was sucked in and I was reminded, oh, this is why this character has endured for 283 <laughs> appearances on screen. Yeah. This is like, he, like he's got this charisma about him. Um, And this is my very long winded way, you know, an hour, <laughs> one hour plus way of, of uh, saying like, I, I was very, very skeptical of any sort of like idea that, you know, like Dorn had been pitching a, uh, Star Trek Captain Worf spinoff for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, I think he can justify his own spinoff. I think he, whether it's a two-hour telefilm or a miniseries, or you want to give him three seasons like uh, you know Jean Luc got. I think there's enough going on here that they could justify that and explore that. There's maybe more family shame arc to mine. There's Alexander stuff to deal with. Um, maybe like he's still dealing with Judzia's passing. There are TNG. Um, you know, uh, uh, characters for him to encounter and, and interact with. There is him dealing with uh, being a captain. We never really got to see Worf as a captain. Yep. And I just, I just think there's so much more left to mine with Worf. Whereas Cam, was there really anything to do with Picard hmm. in Star Trek? Picard, <laughs> like, yeah, he was just like a doddering old man for three seasons, and like I was like, all right, like done like I, I don't need to see this character again despite how much i really like um well at least the tng version of of uh, picard of course now the section 31 movie is shooting now we know they wanted to make more star trek movies do you think a wharf one is perhaps the most likely next movie that if if you know if streaming yeah, money yeah. is still there if they make another movie do you think yeah. that feels like the one that would be the most likely they would go to I think it's the most marketable. You know, uh, the next most marketable yeah. would maybe be a seven of nine dealio, but yeah. I just don't think that there's. Um, you, you don't get the sense from uh, the Kurtz mach machine that they really want to do any sort of uh, Star Trek legacy, even as a telefilm sort of spinoff. I th I think for me, uh, Worf makes more sense. Or Cam, maybe it's a Starfleet Academy spinoff because, uh, like, huh. telefilm because they're not going to do the. Uh, the actual spin-off TV series. Our, you and I were discussing this last night. Uh, we, you and I, we went to kind of a, a live orchestra in which they performed uh, uh, music from uh, Star Wars and Star Trek. And uh, we, we kind of had this debate uh, as well uh, uh, about what that means 
going forward and we we're like huh like I, I, I we weren't quite certain yeah yeah like i don't know what will happen with starfleet academy it's i don't know like it seems rather quiet and maybe maybe the strikes gave them a moment to really think about that one for a second before they dumped all the money on it um yeah who knows who knows but like we did have that quote from Patrick Stewart saying he was like looking at a Star Trek script or something <laughs> like that. So I don't know. Maybe they just want to do another TNG movie. But if if they decide to do a character centric movie to follow up Section Thirty One, which I think is actually a kind of a good idea, um, Worf to me seems like the one that do it now because Michael Dorn is still able to play Worf. Do it while he's up to it. I I I want him. I want it to be smaller in scale. Like, I don't want... I, I don't need big space battles. Maybe you give Worf a Batleth for, you know, one sequence, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I, I, like... Like, I'm not pitching any ideas other than, like, I, I, I'd like to see Worf in command of a starship to see what that dynamic is like. I'd like them to acknowledge Jedzia. I'd like them to deal with Alexander try to rehabilitate that end of the character, or at least him coming to grips with what a terrible father he is. And I'd like to see Alexander in a good place, you know? Um, and then, yeah, maybe he bumps into, you know, Riker or something like that on his small-scale journey. Maybe it's just a small mission that um, whatever ship he's in command of needs to go on. Or maybe they pay off something you brought up earlier that's uh, unresolved. They could call it the quest for Kern. <laughs> yeah well, that, 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 something like that would be interesting you yeah. know I, I i'm far more interested in doing kind of a character-centric telemovie you know like like i don't know i, I like doesn't matter if you pour a hundred million dollar budget into captain wharf versus pour a 10 million dollar budget into captain wharf i think you're going to get the same number of people uh watching it on paramount plus and so that that's why i think it, and, and guess what i think the um smaller scale telefilm would get a lot more people talking versus some pew 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 sort of dealio in which Worf happens to be the captain of whatever ship although the whole galaxy has to be at risk tyler that has to be the finale I know, I know. Um, that all said, I, I, I think the chances of a uh, Worf spinoff are, are pretty slim. I think <laughs> I think we're going to see a lot more spinoffs not involving Worf uh, ahead of any of this, you know. But ultimately, like, he's a fascinating character. Um, I think he benefited a lot from uh, Deep Space Nine, very obviously. And um, I just, I don't think his story is done yet. I, I think the, uh, I, I can understand um, Picard's story being over, or even Geordi's <laughs> story being over yeah. or or Riker and Troy's stories being over data I think that's done yeah I don't think Worf's story's over I just I just don't feel that way you know and it's interesting I was listening to a podcast and they're talking about kind of the the uh, parasocial kind of relationships that people develop uh more so with television characters versus movie characters in that mm. they're, they're bringing up the fact like when I watch a movie the movie ends, and to me, those characters, their, their journey is kind of over for me. Like, I'm not, for, for most of these films, I'm not sitting there picturing, like, hey, I wonder what happened to the next. But with TV, it's a little different because you just spend so much more time thinking about these characters. And that's why, in my parasocial way, I'm thinking, like, Worf's journey's not done. They're, they're like, like there, there's something more that needs to be told right now, and I, I don't want it to happen in comic book form. <laughs> I mean, I constantly wonder what happened to Caroline in the city. 
I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, yeah, our assignment is complete. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, we want to hear from you. Jump on over to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash subspace pod. You can, of course, also leave a review for us wherever you get your podcasts. But the real question is, Tyler, what are we doing next week? Well, as I alluded to, you and I went and saw this live orchestra uh, over at uh, the Opera House in Vancouver last night. Um, it was quite breathtaking. Cam, they had uh, the Deep Space Nine theme, um, you know, speaking of Worf. Um, it was interesting, like, composition there. Um, they did some flourishes with the strings and the brass sections that mm-hmm. I'd never heard performed live before. We've seen, um, uh, I-, I guess, the Las Vegas Pops Orchestra perform the Deep Space Nine um, score or a theme song once before. Um, I don't know. I, I thought last night was pretty special. I, it was really great seeing that. So I think that maybe uh, has inspired us to kind of rank the main themes of all the different Star Trek series uh, that have uh, uh, hit the screens, especially over the last couple of years with so many more of the Kurtzman era. But what was your takeaway? So that's what we're going to do next week. Yeah. Um, and also just an FYI, um, uh, we alluded to it at the start. Our scheduling isn't the best, so maybe this episode is going to drop maybe a day or two later than our usual Sunday drop. But what was your takeaway from last night's performance at the orchestra? You really buried the lead that they also performed the Picard season one <laughs> theme <laughs> true that's true yeah i mean i can't i wow. was i was kind of annoyed we, we we got that but we did not get faith of the heart i wanted where my heart will take me um the the enterprise theme but uh we did I, i'm serious i wanted that but i just don't think mainstream audiences would want that despite the fact that it's kind of become beloved among like at least the convention crowd yeah um you know but uh anyway uh that said what was what was your highlight i i, I should ask um, I mean, to me, hearing a lot of the Star Wars music live is, uh, I've heard it many times, but it's always just absolutely, like, chill-inducing, and, you know, hearing, you know, Duel of the Fates and the Imperial March, but the one that actually jumped out to me the most, and it was actually the encore, I've heard every bit of classic Star Wars music performed live, because I've gone to see, you know, the original trilogy, um, you know, with the orchestra doing the music for the whole movie, so all the classic Star Wars music I've kind of heard, except for one track, which was the Moz Eisley Cantina Band, which they did as their encore. And to hear an orchestra perform that was actually very cool. Although I guess I've never heard an orchestra do Yub Nub from uh, the original cut of Return of the Jedi. So I guess that <laughs> one's outstanding <laughs> yeah. still. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it uh, inspired me so much that I took up my phone and recorded a little bit of that. And uh, the usher was quick to tell me to uh, no recordings. And I felt bad about that. But the thing is, I, I was holding my phone away in a way in which other folks would not have been disturbed by my screen uh, i you know me cam we, you and i were at the movies uh just a few days ago you know me i am like a hawk if somebody pulls their phone out and is like, playing around with it at the movie theater i i jump on them um that said i don't think the orchestra necessarily wanted like recordings on, so i'm not going to share it on social media or anything like that it's it's for my own personal use so i i do feel bad because i i know better but i couldn't help myself <laughs> at that moment but the phone stayed in the pocket for picard <laughs> <laughs> yes it's true <laughs> okay cam <laughs> yes you can also find us on twitter i'm at cam b as in voyager has the comedy enterprise does not smith and you can find me at reportin that's r-e e is in ethics uh not one of Worf's most important episodes uh you know a barrel falls on his back he's okay uh p-o-r-t-o-n Okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. What's the funniest moment on Star Trek Enterprise? Uh, 
funniest moment. <laughs> uh, 